Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, Sunshine Revisited. I'm Abby, and my guest today is Eduardo Rodriguez. I tried to say it with the accent. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome, Eduardo. And uh, could you, so would you please introduce yourself to our audience? Yep. So, so hello, everyone. My name is Eduardo Rodriguez. I'm a last year PhD student um, at Princeton University. And my main focus of research is uh, fusion energy. Not in the sun, which would be more, you know, closer to today's film commentary, but um, trying to do fusion on Earth. So hopefully I can contribute in some, you know, reasonable way. I feel like you certainly can. I've also heard that you are a little bit of a film nerd as well. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, that's kind of my, well, one of my, you know, my other kind of hobby in a sense um well not right now that i have to write my thesis but you know in my normal life yes there is time uh frida did a bit when we talked about and i'm sure you've probably seen it the, the movie moon it's one of her favorites and when we talked about it she talked about how she thinks moon is a, a metaphor for the last part of your thesis like the last part of your phd when you're writing up your thesis <laughs> the isolation the stress the takeaway containers <laughs> So I don't envy you in that yep. part of your life right yeah. now. <laughs> but okay, so let's talk about Sunshine. Yeah. Uh, Sunshine was one of our very first episodes that we did for Science of the Movies. So it's been quite some time since I've seen it. Uh, okay. Let's have a little recap of some of what the plot is and more what we actually want to talk about today. So for anyone who doesn't remember Sunshine, the year is 2057 and the sun is dying. And of course, without heat from the sun to warm earth, humanity is going to run out of resources and time. And so the people of Earth pull together and create the largest, most elaborate spaceship uh, to deliver a stellar bomb to the heart of the star that will reignite the sun, apparently. Unfortunately, the first one of these ships uh, sets off with a team of eight astronauts and fails its mission. They lose contact and so, with no other alternative, Earth has to kind of try again and make Icarus 2 with the very last of the resources. So it is the absolute last shot that they have. And we pick up the movie with the crew of Icarus 2 approaching the final stages of their mission, which is the point where they are getting close to the sun and they won't be able to turn back and they've got to drop the bomb in and fix everything. Because that's how science and movies works. So, Eduardo, what yep. did you actually think of the movie? Did you enjoy it? So, so I, I actually had seen it yeah. before. Well, apparently so, but I didn't remember much of it, actually. I mean, it's 2007, mm. right? So when the movie came out. So um, so I liked it. It's I would say it's in the borderline of um, how tense I'd like a movie to be. Yeah. Because it is actually very tense. Um you know, even, you know, kind of playing with the music in like an eerie kind of, you know, soundtrack. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, 
it's I would say it's enjoyable, but for me it's like you know kind of border limit on on how tense I would like a movie to be. Some sometimes I kind of it kind of feel it kind of feels like a horror movie, which when they are like really pushing it so as to be scary in a sense. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they're just doing it just to to build up like tension or build up that kind of. Uh, um, so yeah, so that's fine. I, I like you know photography is just fantastic. Amazing, I mean, isn't it? There's not many things that are you know much more beautiful than a sun close up. So you know, um, that's that's good. Um, yeah. So what do you think about about um, Cillian Murphy as as a physicist? Uh, though is, I thought he was great. Did you think he was great? I thought he was great. I mean, I liked. So okay. So I, so I feel you disagree. <laughs> <laughs> no 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 so i liked i liked uh so at some point in the movie they are well can we make a spoiler yeah, of course yeah sure i would expect people would have seen the movie okay okay to okay to this. So I... <laughs> if they haven't it's okay okay, okay so at some point in the movie yeah so at, at some point in the movie right so when they're approaching the sun they discover that they're getting some signal from around mercury right which is like the Icarus one being like orbiting around Mercury, right? Uh, because they had deviated from their original course, I guess, towards right. the sun. Um, and so they they need to make a choice, right? Are we gonna just ignore them and you know go to the sun, or are we gonna go to them? And then basically they have to make a choice. And at some point they say, "Oh, we are gonna, you know, we are gonna trust on the physicist. You know, he's the one that knows everything." And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> trust the physicist. Always trust the physicist." <laughs> exactly. But then they do this weird scene where they have, um, where they have to go out when they have to go out to fix the shield. And um, I can't remember the character's name. Right. Seven's character, and, they say, and he's you know, like. Screw the physicist. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wait, but you need, you need <laughs> yeah, him, <exactly>. right? <laughs> Save the physicist. Is that not the point? I mean, he's Captain America. Like, what is he doing? Like, come on. <laughs> it was pre those days. He hadn't taken the serum yet. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, so um, yeah, so the the whole the whole thing about Killian Murphy that's actually really interesting is that. Uh, so I don't know if you know this, but Brian Cox was the science advisor on the movie which we can talk about in a minute. Uh, Kelly and Murphy did spend some time at CERN interacting with physicists and trying to learn about how, okay. how they kind of interact with each other and like communication. I say that as if I'm not one of them. I am one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but he also like Brian Cox gave lectures and talks to the cast about the sun and about solar physics and things like that. And I thought that was really nice. Okay. And one of the things. Well, but Brian Cox, yeah, he's a particle physicist, yeah. right? But he's a science communicator. I think that's okay. his main bit now, isn't it? Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was really cute, actually, yeah, and yeah. we talked a bit about it, myself and Frida talked about this in, in our last episode about it, but at the end of this experience, Killian Murphy asked Brian Cox, like, what do you think it would feel like to finally see the thing that you have studied your whole life? And I guess, like, that's kind of an interesting question. So what, what do you think that would be like to... To actually see your research in that way, yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess a sense of fulfillment, in yeah. a sense, like I would think, right? Um, especially if, if I mean, Brian Cox, I guess it's an exper- It's not experimental, so he's probably a theorist, uh, which means that I mean, everything was in his head. So actually, seeing something in like you know, tangible, mm-hmm. I think would be very kind of you know. 
um, fulfilling. I think that would be like my, you yeah. know, like, you know, you would say, okay, I'm done, you know, <laughs> like. There's the thing. You can see the thing. Bye now. Especially, as I said, if you're at a theorist, in which case you haven't, you know, it's all on paper in a sense, right? So like, it's all, especially particle physicists, you know, a lot of the times is, you know, you are, you know, many, many layers deep into God knows what you're thinking about. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah. Of course, in the case of the sun, you're also, you're probably also overwhelmed, right? Right. I think it's, um, I just think it was a really nice thing. I thought like from an actor's perspective of somebody who doesn't understand science and scientists to, to be that aware of the certain types of things that maybe a scientist might feel in the research that they're doing. And it's maybe something that, that makes right. me kind of enjoy Killian yeah. Murphy. I would also say like, um, so they went to CERN, which probably is all, it's, it's only like a subclass of physicists mm. in a sense, right? Because I think physicists in general like have a very kind of heterogeneous class of people, <laughs> um, and it probably, like, <laughs> and it probably like depending on which like you know particular subject you go to, um, it probably changes a lot. Like you know, even even the attitudes of of people, right? Um, yeah. Well, that's you know from my experience what I get. Um, well. I thought I did think though I yeah. quite enjoyed his character just in terms of I thought he was quite cool he was quite calm he was just he was practical uh to a certain degree and there was that nice kind of contrast then between yeah, the like yeah. head hot-headed engineer and then uh, we also like there was a few other yeah. I mean in in terms of like an astronaut crew did you did you like the crew dynamic in general like of the the range of the cast i thought that was something nice when i was watching it yeah 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 it was it was it was fine i i think the the um the one that put me off for a while was actually cliff curtis oh. which is the 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 psychologist mm. right because at the beginning he looks like he's crazy like he looks like he's nuts Right, because he's—I don't know—that's the feel. Like you know, he's in the in the sand room, you know, and he's like completely gone in a sense. Um, so I thought originally that he was the one that was gonna go bananas and yes. you know start killing people or something like that. Um, but not. No, they brought in Mark Strong as a zombie instead. <laughs> yes what was that about i think we all agree that like the third part of the movie for everyone was a bit why <laughs> why did you do that it was going so well yeah. well i guess yeah i mean to be honest like from the mo i all actually from the moment they started going to icarus 2 it kind of turns into like a classic uh kind of science mm. like sci-fi movie in the sense of you know, someone gets lost, second mission goes to rescue them, they go to thing and things go bad. You know what I mean? Um, that kind of, you know, dynamics yeah. of, um, you know, from the beginning, you know that stopping an Icarus to, to pick up these guys is not a yeah, good it's, idea. It's, like, you know, otherwise there wouldn't be exactly. a film. So like, <laughs> They're not going to go there, get the second bomb and be great. Look, now we can double blow up the moon. This is, oh, the moon, the sun, yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's talk some science then. Um, right, right. The whole premise of the movie is that the star, that this our sun is dying. Now, 
we do know that the sun will eventually die out, but we also know that that's not going to happen in like the next right. billion or couple of billion in 50 years. years. And when it does, it's not likely going to be quick. Um, so what are your thoughts on this whole premise of the dying sun? Right. So, so, okay. So, so in general, right. Um, so the sun is a very normal star in a sense, right? So there's nothing really special about it, but the fact that, you know, we, we depend on it to survive. But, um, so in principle, actually, if the sun would start to die, it would start actually becoming hotter first. Right. So actually, you wouldn't actually go through a, you know, very, you know, cold case. It would actually start becoming hotter and hotter well, as it becomes, as it goes towards becoming a red giant, right? Um, but that is if, if the, if the sun is to follow its natural course of life, right? Um, which is basically, it runs on hydrogen, right? In the core of the sun, it makes fusion. So that's that's how you know the sun gets hotter, and at some point it runs out of of fuel, right? And when it runs out of fuel, actually, um, then it, it has to actually expand. So that would be what would happen to the sun if you know, in in as you were saying, in the billion times, in the billion year scale, right? Uh, not in twenty fifty, <laughs> but you know, probably the humans have already killed themselves in oh, other yeah, ways, for right? Sure. We are very creative, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> uh so right so so it has to be something else right and i think that's where brian cox comes in right uh yeah sort of <laughs> so he did come up with this idea right and uh, this is i just i think this is great basically like i think what happened was he asked around cern and was like hey does anyone have any idea of how the sun could die and because they're mostly particle <laughs> physicists, obviously. <laughs> it comes to a particle. Right. So there's this theoretical particle called a cue ball, and it's a super stable particle that would have been formed during the Big Bang. Now, they say that a cue ball is capable of breaking okay. down protons and neutrons so that it could, in theory, eat a star from the inside. But the thing is, it depends on the density of the star okay. and the stability of its matter. So our sun isn't dense enough for this to actually happen. Like if a cue ball, you know, was a, a real physical thing that traveled okay. through our solar system, because our sun isn't dense enough to catch it, the cue ball would just like move through. But it could be caught by a like a neutron star okay. and then essentially start to eat the neutron star from the from the inside, uh, maybe that's where they're coming from with the whole reducing of the temperature rather than the increase. But uh, right, do do you feel that this is maybe a bit of a stretch as a premise? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the first comment is that that's what happens when you ask particle physicists. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Did he not know any uh, stellar physicists? Like, come on, man. Uh, but so that's number one. No, number two is okay. So I read a, about it a bit. Um, well, as much as I can read about it, because you know they go into very complicated stuff in there. But so yeah, so I think the idea was okay. So I have some you know some kind of piece of mass put it, which has supersymmetric particles in it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so much, so 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 energetic that inside it, physics are different, right? And so whenever anything from the outside goes in, um, you know, it goes under some very funky behavior. And in particular, all protons and neutrons, which otherwise would not decay, decay, right? So 
if you take that as as the premise and you take this this ball to be in the middle of the sand, which as you said, even if it was to be, it would be impossible in a sense, right? Um, the funny thing though is that actually the sand would heat up. No, because <laughs> as all this matter gets annihilated. Right, as all this matter gets annihilated, as the as the proton actually decays, it actually um, liberates energy. So, as as a matter of fact, it would be like enhanced fusion in the sense that it would be some is actually more energetic than fusion. So, a proton decaying is actually more energetic than two protons coming together. Oh um, wow! So, it, even if we take even if we take the cube ball as a premise, as a correct, you know, okay, let's assume that that would happen. It seems that actually the sun would start producing much more energy, like at, at the twine, right? Because you are basically the idea is that you are basically taking a proton, right, or an atom or whatever you want, and you are just basically, you know, just pulling it apart completely. So imagine like all those forces, which are you know very high forces, right, binding all these things together, liberate a lot of energy. So, right. um, so that would be the first thing, right? I would think the sun would have to actually... So we would be roasted. Like, we would all be living in Bahamas, you know, around the around the <laughs> earth, right? <laughs> but that final scene, it was snow, Eduardo. It was snowing. They were all freezing. <laughs> Why? Yeah, the, the world is more, so like UK, it's, it's more like a UK world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I knew it was a stretch, but I didn't realize it was just completely incorrect. Right, so I think at the time, I mean, it, it does make sense that it will start, like, eating out the sun, right? So perhaps what happens is that, um, so the, the sun might actually die faster, but it would actually roast right. the earth completely if it actually just annihilates energy, right? It's like, you know, it's actually fission, it's fission, but in the, in the like, proton scale. So you, you're, you know... Completely destroying the proton. Um, okay, so so that's number one. So you should actually heat up. Okay. Which is funny. Um, the second one is... Okay, if you have this thing, which the reason why it works is because it's, you know, super energetic. So super energetic meaning that its mass is gigantic, right? Ginormous. Okay, now you are going to go there with a nuke. Because you want to blow this up. Like, how is this going to work? Like, you have something that... The the only reason why it works is because it's, like, bigger or, like, you know, whatever. Like, you know, I don't know how many orders of magnitude beyond any any energy, energy that you can ever think about. And then you're just going to go with a nuke and you're just going to try to blow it up. I think I read somewhere that the idea was that if you could um, create, if you could heat it to the le energy level that it would have been at the creation of the Big Bang, then you could destabilize the cue balls and, and stop it in some way. But how could you get it to that? Like, what was the temperature at the Big Bang? Do you know? That? I don't know. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. But I mean, you can just think that it's not going to be whatever a nuke is going to do. I don't nuke, care right? how big the nuke is. Like, you know, <laughs> like it's going to be like very, very, very hot. Right. 
Um, I mean, you are, your nuke is not going to be even close to the sun, and this thing is eating the sun out. Like, okay, sure, I mean, you're not going to be able to do it, right? Like, yeah. you have to be warmer than whatever the sun was in its core, which is like 100 million, you know, degrees or something. So, like... Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, That's, you know. You're right. Like, the other <laughs> thing is, okay, you could, you could try... To, yeah. So you could try to tell me, okay, you're not going to blow it up. You're going to, because the other thing would be like, okay, let me not blow it up, but let me try to displace it from the sun, right? But we are at the same, at the same kind of problem, right? If this thing is very energetic, it has a huge mass. And you, if you're just going to blow, you know, kind of a, you know, bomb yeah. on the size so as to make it like a rocket kind of thing, right? Like you're not going to be able to move it. I mean, we're talking stellar things. So like... There's nothing really you can do, I would think, at least, right? Right. Um, so th- I mean, I so I will say uh, that at the time with the, <laughs> I know that there's like reports, all right, that say that most of Brian Cox's ideas were sidelined in favor adva- of advancing the plot rather than following the the actual science. And there okay, is like right, right. there is a thing in there, all right, with that said about like once it came to this concept of a stellar bomb, like this was the part of the science where Brian Cox just kind of went, ah, that's not going to work. But you know, you do you. I'm just I'm just going to stay out of this. I, I read somewhere that you know because you know so okay so so when you have something that is very difficult to explain, the one way of trying to make the answer plausible is to make it more complicated, right? So the more complicated <laughs> you make the answer, then the more plausible it becomes because it's just very complicated. Okay, so I've read that the idea was that this nuke actually would generate or would have some kind of dark matter in it. Yes. And so, <laughs> so, so for the people out there, so dark matter is basically mass, but it's a weird mass because it only generates like gravitational attraction, but it does not interact in other ways, right? So it doesn't, for example, you cannot see it. Um, so the idea was to have some kind of dark matter thing where, you know, you make fission and then dark matter appears or whatever, so that you have something very energetic, and then you somehow push this to this cubal idea, right, that you were mentioning, Abby, and then somehow, you know, you fix the problems of the world. Um, (laughs) but, but that's a classic, right? Like, just make the answer overcomplicated. So that, like, okay, you cannot really say yes or no because it's just too complicated. This is the thing, right? This is this. There's there's a couple of smart ways to do science in a movie. One smart way: don't explain it at all. Don't explain anything. Don't put any basis around it. Don't put any scientific idea. Things like annihilation. Right. We there's no scientific scientific explanation for what the entity in annihilation is, and it makes it brilliant and beautiful because they don't try to explain it. <laughs> then there's movies that try to explain right. things where they go, "Hey, this is a thing." Um, I, I will forever and always constantly refer back to Spectral, saying that the ghosts were Bose-Einstein condensates. I, I, I still cannot handle the fact that this was a real thing. And then there is exactly, as you said, there's that way where it's like, okay, let's take some concepts, but theoretical ones, make it really complicated so that nobody could ever actually try to figure out exactly what would or could happen because you can't prove any of it. So you can't dispute any of it. Science fiction screenwriting 101. (laughs) Don't make everything very complicated or don't, don't mention it. Exactly. They're your two best options. 
Well, having said that, actually, they in, in the movie, they never explain anything in the sense of yeah. they don't say why the sun is dying or no. they don't, right? They, they don't, really. But, um, but this is the thing. They don't say why it's dying, but they do specifically say that they are making a stellar bomb uh, to reignite it. Like, that's right, the whole right. thing. So, like, what... In what in what world like okay I can't say in what world would this work because it wouldn't but like could we even in terms of like creating fusion on Earth could we even create it to the level right. of anything that is resembling the heart of the st- of the heart of the sun right so so the thing so the thing in the sun right I mean as we were saying I mean this is gigantic I mean the sun is you can feed like a million earths in the sun right so it's like a hundred times the radius of the of the earth um so everything is gigantic so anything that you can do as a human is just gonna be relative in size right so you can do very little um now as I was saying before if the sun was just for you know assume that we are you know some billion years in the future and the sun starts to die in a sense the reason why it started to die is because it's running out of fuel and so naturally what you would do is put more fuel into the sun right but you're never gonna put enough fuel to like make it run for like i don't know you know what i mean like the sun is huge so like any amounts that you can put there because of you know coming from the earth is just gonna be very little now the other possibility, right? Imagine the other possibility would be oh, because the problem is that the the sun needs like a start off, right? So that there's some kind of chain reaction that okay, now it starts, but um, but once again, that's not really like how the sun would work. So the if the sun needs to heat up, it will just com- uh, compress a bit, okay? Right. So basically, it would pull everything back together, and by pulling everything back together, it just heats up. Um, right, and then more fusion happens. That that's how the sun would try to do things, and that's how the sun actually, as time goes on, it will start compressing a bit more and compressing a bit more, and then when it becomes a red giant, the core actually compresses a lot, and then the outside expands. Um, but thinking that you are gonna actually try to do anything like that in the sun is actually you know kind of science fiction, just because of the sheer size of the sun, right? Um, now on Earth, you can you can do fusion on Earth. As a matter of fact, you can heat things up to like higher temperatures than what the sun does. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, but the quantities that you do is like, you know, it's not, they're not like, you know, si- you know, sun size quantities, right? Everything is like very kind of dilute and every small in, a, in, in comparison. I mean, you know, the yeah. scale comparison is like, it has nothing to do. As a matter of fact, the sun is actually very bad at doing fusion. Okay. Like the only reason why the sun works is because it's very big. So he, you know, he doesn't care whether it is very efficient or not. The, just the sheer size just makes it viable. Right. If you want to do that on Earth, you just need to be much better at doing it. Because you cannot just have a huge thing where, you know, there's these very high energy particle coming by and, you know, it has some probability of making fusion, right? Yeah. And in the sun, because it's very large, then it doesn't matter how small it is. You just, you know, keep the particle running for long enough. And, you know, as it traverses, you know, three times the Earth radius, then it will eventually become do fusion, right? Um, but in the Earth, you cannot do that. So you actually need to, you know, try to be clever in a sense. But again, my I would say touching the sun as a human is probably not possible in any form, right? Right. 
Well, because what I always wondered as well about it was in terms of, as you said, if you think about the size of the sun in comparison to the size of the earth, um, if you think about where, if, if you are looking at it from the perspective that there is something that has caused the sun to stop, like for fusion to just stop. So it's getting colder in some way right. and, and, uh, and it's like, a, you know, sending, sending a match into a fire right. lighter, trying to, trying to restart it or something, if that's the plan, then is the idea to get this bomb into the center of the sun. And how would you get the bomb far enough into the sun? Because, as you said, it's really right. big and really hot. Right, right, right. This comes to what I know that is related to your research, because the reason that we can get the temperatures on Earth is because of magnetic confinement. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, yes. So surely, if you would have to have some sort of confinement for this bomb in order to get it into the, the sun. I don't know. I'm just... I'm just saying right so so now, yeah so so it's kind of it's it's kind of so if we go back to the film right um when Cillian Murphy it's asked to to calculate whether it's um scientifically a reasonable thing to do to go and rescue the people from the other Icarus or just to go and take the payload from the other Icarus right he does some kind of um simulations i guess right where he's trying to you know he gets all these sand surface and he's simulating how the payload would go into the sand kind of thing right um mm. and he shows what you know kind of some contours of the surface of the sand right um and those contours are basically magnetic fields right so the sand the the surface of the sand has magnetic fields and associated to magnetic fields there's like sand spots right so I think the idea was, okay, let's find a place where these magnetic fields are such that, you know, they basically open kind of like a gap on the surface of the sun. And then the idea would be to, you know, just right. try to, you know, thread the needle, right? So just try to to push the payload through through there. Now, this involves a number of things, which is, first of all, you need to be very good at mapping whatever is happening on the surface of the sun. Even if you were to do this, like, you would be roasted. Like, it doesn't matter, like, you know, like, this is the problem, right? Like, they're showing that if you get the shields out, the thing just basically gets obliterated, right? This is part of the film. This is why they have to fix, right. like, those three shields that get, you know, that get really high up. But then when they put the payload in, they're just saying, okay, you know, let's forget about the shield. Let's just put this payload in, which you would say, okay, this is going to get roasted. Like, there's, right? Like, you know, there, there's no way, like, this is going to get roasted. But imagine that that wouldn't be a problem. Then I guess what they are doing kind of makes sense in the sense that they're trying to look into the, you know, uh, topography of the surface of the sun, and in particular, the magnetic field. So the magnetic field interacts with the with the hot gas, right, with the plasma. And so they would basically try to, as I was saying, thread the needle through, you know, um, through yeah. the gap, and they would just, you know, try to find, like, a spot where they can put it in. But even then, I mean, getting it to the middle of the sun, it's kind of, you know, there's no way you, you can put that in the middle of the sun. I mean, it's just going to blow up on the side of the sun, and the sun is going gonna to say, okay, sure, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> just, like, spit it back out again. <laughs> Right, exactly. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, that's also a, 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 an interesting reason, right? Because the fusion in the sun actually occurs in the in the center. So if you I imagine that you wanted right. somehow to like you know to lead the match, which I, 
it probably wouldn't want to make a difference. But if you wanted to make a difference, at least you need to put it in the center. But it's kind of impossible to put it in the center, right? I mean, if you yeah. teletransport, then yes. But like, <laughs> you know, if, <laughs> if we had to, Star Trek. You know, yeah, or Doctor <laughs> Doctor Strange just to do one of his circles, just put the payload. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Straight <laughs> That's the thing, really. I think it, it's one of... So the question really is, in terms of what they're saying in this... Um, in this premise of the movie and the background, it's fun to look at it. And it's fun to look at what what ideas they might be using to think of or explain how it could be happening. Mm-hmm. But obviously, at the end of the day, they they tend to kind of knock everything aside for the most part to go, yeah, but what looks good and what what right. will like what will make a good movie? And we appreciate that. But in terms of in terms of this movie, but in general as well, like how do you feel about filmmakers taking license with science for? For the purpose of the storytelling. It's fine. I think it's fine. I mean, (laughs) once again, I mean, you're not given a... Well, you're not given a lecture in physics. So, like, I guess the the purpose, actually, the the main purpose of it is actually to um, incite some kind of uh, interest in people, right? So, like, I guess part of the goal is just to make it attractive, right? Like, okay, there's a lot of things you don't understand. Like, look at this. So then you know, you might be just go to the internet at least, right? And open it up and try to see whether this makes sense or not, right? Um, I think that by itself has merit, right? And that's, I think, as much yeah. as they can strive for. I mean, once again, they're not going to teach you, you know, I don't know, special relativity in a two-hour, you know, in a two-hour film. I mean, that would be probably very boring anyways, right? But if they can instill in you some kind of doubt or some kind of interest, right? Some... So that you are eager to try to go and learn or just, you know, uh, I think that's that's merit in itself, right? Like, I completely agree. I I love what I love about it is when you find a movie and whether it's completely bonkers or whether it's beautifully done, if it makes me go, that can't be real. And I have to right. go and look it up. I love that. I love that it's done that to me. And I think it's beautiful. And we never watch these movies or comment on them with the expectation that the science is going to be perfectly accurate because it it's fiction. It's it's not a documentary. I'm not here to be taught or or like have somebody, as you said, is not here to get a physics lecture. I'm here to watch something right. that's entertaining, but also to maybe like make me question or learn something. And I love that. And right, right. Yeah. Right. So this is this is a great. I'm really enjoying this conversation about the stuff in the sun because yeah. we. Myself and Frida didn't really get into this when uh, when we did the episode originally, because um, we just said we'll just leave that stellar bomb part alone. <laughs> so it's good to talk <laughs> it over and learn a bit yeah. about, especially learning that the cue balls would have made it hotter. This is really upsetting. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> right. Uh, so just for people out there, actually, when you hear someone saying that um, this is true because of science, don't trust what don't trust them. <laughs> you know, this is this is the classic. This is the classic. You know, some scientist has said this. You just don't trust them. You know, try to figure out. Try to figure out by yourself. You know, because um, this is yeah. the other classic thing, right? I mean, and it's not just in films, but actually in real life. When you see like a newspaper and they say scientists say, you know, all your all your like you know exclamation marks should you know you should actually go and and see what the scientists actually say, right? Um, by, this, by the way, all scientists are not equal. So, like, if I start talking about, I don't know, how a cell works, I'm probably just, 
I have no idea. I mean, I am a, I'm a, am I a scientist? Yes, but we probably have no idea of any of the details. Yeah. I mean, we can make like possibility arguments, but like oh, beyond that, you know, I don't know. It's like when a Nobel, pr- when like Nobel Prize winners sign something that has nothing to do with what they've won the Nobel Prize for, and that gives them some kind of authority. So, like you know, sure they, you know, they have some kind of authority, but. You know, they're outside their their comfortable, you know, kind of zone in a sense, right? Um, yeah. Well, that's that's the that's the interesting point, especially about this conversation, because as you get deeper and deeper into science, I think as a scientist and and you like your your research gets nicher and nicher, your focus narrows more and more. So you might know an awful lot about a really sp- like for me, like same as for you, I know a lot about a very specific area of right. physics. That doesn't mean I know a lot about all physics. But like, for example, right, cubals. I have no idea about cubals. You probably also yeah. don't have any idea about cubals. But we can kind of read, you can kind of do some research, read some. And then from our physics background, we can kind of say whether this is just pure nuts and yeah. crazy things. Or, you know, you have some kind of basic notions that you can employ to to judge whether it's true or not, yeah. right? Uh, or plausible or not. Um yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, but this we is where it gets again, fun are, then when yeah. they have science. Cons- well, they but it, this is where it gets fun then when they have like science consultants on movies because that's what I like to look for. When I look for the science consultants, I'm like, right, who was doing this, and how much? Like, what have they said about it? I always like to see like when they kind of come back and go, we gave some ideas, they listened to it, or if somebody had like a a good amount of time and involvement in writing the script and helping to understand it, so. It's always a nice right. one to look out for. If there's a science movie, check who the science consultant was first. And if they didn't have one, <laughs> then <laughs> don't trust anything it says. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, let's come back. So coming back to I, Sunshine. I, I would, I would, I would by, the, by, the, by the way, I like mocking, I like mocking particle physicists. So I would say that if the consultant <laughs> is a particle physicist, you know... <laughs> <laughs> What's your beef with particle physicists? I don't know. I don't know. It's just one of those things, you know. <laughs> but um, I should have beef with you. I'm I'm ultra cold quantum matter. You're you're like you're astro hot plasma physics. I should, I should have issues. Well, with you. I, yeah. <laughs> well, but I only do classical physics. I do boring classical physics. Okay. You know. What other is there any other kind of stuff that came up in the movie? Particular topics, things. Uh, that you want to yeah, you know, I mean, have a chat about. Yeah, if, if so if we bar the the like you know the stellar bomb and uh, and yeah. trying to reignite the sun or or whatever. I mean there's a there's a lot of different pieces and you know nuts and bolts in the film that kind of make sense actually. Um so actually if we look at the for example at the spacecraft, right? So this mm-hmm. spacecraft has like a huge shield in front of him. Um and to protect it from the sun, right? And this actually is very reminiscent from the Parker Solar Probe that they launched, like, you know, three years ago, four years ago. Um, so the so- Parker Solar Probe is um, is basically some kind of satellite um, that it was launched to get very, very close uh, to the sun. So something like a few solar radii. Um, and it actually has a shield that is kind of similar to this. I mean, it's less sophisticated in a sense, but it's kind of similar to this. Um, so the shield basically has to stop, you know, all the radiation coming from the sun and 
the solar wind. Uh, the solar wind being just, you know, basically particles just coming off the sun because, you know, it's a hot gas. So there's some outflow of uh, stuff coming out of the sun. Um, and actually, if you think about it, the most difficult thing is not to have a shield, but it's actually for the high temperature of the shield not to go to the spacecraft. Right. Right. Because you can imagine the shield is going to be, you know, very, very hot. And very close to it, you have a spacecraft that, for some reason, you know, it should not be hot. Yet, the two have to be connected with each other, right? Um, yeah. And you're going to have a huge gradient of temperature between the two. So, you know, if the one is whatever, a thousand degrees, or I don't know how hot it's going to be, um, the other one has to be at room temperature, you know, if you want people to be there. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's kind of actually realistic, though. Um, it's uh, reminiscent of, of, as I said, this Parker Solar Probe, mm. uh, which is now running. Actually, they are they are collecting data from 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 it. Um, I, it was it was kind of uh, fun. For example, the all the cracking noise, um, right mm. when when the when the sun kind of was hitting. Uh, well, first of all, we should remind ourselves that if you are in space, you wouldn't hear anything. Uh, yeah. you know, the astronauts wouldn't hear anything. I mean, they could feel vibrations from the, from the, you know, from their feet, but they wouldn't hear anything. The people in the space, in the spacecraft probably do hear things, right? Um, because what, we, what is going to happen, you know, metal contracts and, ex and expands a lot with temperature changes, right? So what's going to happen is like, there's going to be all this cracking noise that is just going to propagate through the connection from the shield to the oh, spacecraft. Okay. So those people can actually hear it, right? Um, but the astronauts themselves probably don't hear it. Um, right. So, so, so that I, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of feasible. I don't know the details of whether the shields would work or not, because, you know, uh, that would, that's more of a job of an engineer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't really know of the details, but it, you know, I, I'm, the only thing is that there are things that are used nowadays that are actually kind of similar. So I would think that you could actually pull that out, pull that off. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I would believe it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is that they're talking about small deviations in the shields actually being completely disruptive. I mean, that's also reasonable, right? Um, if you're talking about a very, very large flux of energy, any small degree deviation um, that might lead to like an increase in like a 1%, right? Uh, can be completely destroyed. Yeah. You know, it can lead to the whole thing to get destroyed, right? Um, a very large number multiplied by a very small number can be a reasonably, you know, reasonably sized. Uh, so, like, you know, if it's one degree, that would be like a 0.5%, I guess, difference if you take the cosine or something like that, right? Or the sine. So, um, you know, that can still be huge. Because um, remember, as you approach the sun, so if you take the distance from the sun, right? Then the increase is quadratic in the distance, right? Of how much how much yeah. uh, sun is coming to you, so how much sunlight is coming to you, right? So you can think of the of yeah. the um, the surface of a sphere, right? Um, so so that's that's kind of fun. Now, one question I had, and this was going in my head, is how much would you start accelerate? Like, what is the gravity on the on the, on the edge of the sun? Because they start talking that you would start going relativistic. Right? right, Cillian Morphy starts saying, "Oh, we're gonna start going relativistic." 
as they're so as they're approaching the sun and the point when they is it the point when they like there's the point of no return and the ship is going to start falling into the sun right but then when he's doing the calculations he's saying oh this is very complicated because we're going to become relativistic right he says something like that which could be right. once again an an instance of i'm gonna just say complicated words so that you know no oh, one so, really... so with, okay so aha yes what is the grab okay so what is the gravitational pull of the sun well if the sun is like what a million times the mass of earth okay there we go surface of gravity surface surface gravity of the sun is 20 ta- 28 times that of the earth okay so okay. it's it's pretty 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 fast at what orbital point do you need to be at when when you are when ugh, what is the distance where the escape velocity of the sun is? So what is the distance that you would have to go beyond before you would start accelerating towards yep. the sun? So then you could determine like how much what would your acceleration be? Uh, yeah, the other, distance, the other, yeah. So the other thing is that you would you would want to actually think about what is the terminal velocity, right? So you actually, so you start accelerating at some point there's the drag coming, but the sun is actually pretty dilute, right? For a long run period. So you are actually going to be able to reach velocities much, much larger than what you would in, in the surface of the earth, right? Because you would actually have no drag. So I can, I can see actually, you know, getting very, very fast. So the escape velocity from the sun apparently is uh, 55 times that of the earth. So the escape velocity, okay. by the way, is the velocity you need normal to the surface of the of the sun, so that if you start with that velocity, you would actually escape, just escape this the sun. So you would just drift away from the sun. Um, if you go any anywhere below, you would actually go back to the sun. If you go anywhere above, you actually escape the sun. So what are the relativistic effects going to do, though? Well, so yeah, so so in terms of. Um, so, okay, so you start going very fast, right? And relativistic effect. So from your perspective, um, so lengths will change. The electromagnetic fields will change, which is probably the f- main concern of uh, of Cillian Murphy, right? Because he's... So this is the scene where he's looking at, once again, at the uh, kind of what the surface of the sun looks like and this magnetic field. So what's going to happen is as you start accelerating towards it, you start going relativistic, then what magnetic field you actually see changes, um okay. so you have to try in from your perspective the magnetic field actually would look slightly different um and that's probably the reason why he's saying that this could be a complication um right because in terms yeah. of what they're saying about trying to find like a way through right um right like yeah Trying to trying to slot in there, uh, it's going to become difficult if the magnetic yeah. field is going to change I, yeah, as yeah, they approach. Yeah. Though I feel that that shouldn't okay. be that that comp that big of a complication. Uh, I think there's more complicated things than just you know taking that into account. Um, <laughs> yeah, special like sending the bomb in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think that should be the least of their of their of their. Uh, <laughs> It's literally just rescaling. It's almost like a rescaling. The other one is like, I don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah, but sometimes there's also physics words that they like to do in movies where it's just because it sounds very physics-y. So it's like, just say this right, thing right, right. it sounds super physics-y and it's really cool. So just say relativistic effects and like people will go, ooh, physics. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like when they slap together topology, quantum, something, <laughs> you know what I mean? And they are like, sure, yeah. you know that sounds very that sounds very scientific. So yes, <laughs> let's go <Yeah>. for it. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So were there any other parts that you wanted to pick out? So there's a bunch of things. So related to actually to plasma physics. Um, so there's a point in the movie at the beginning, actually, that they say, right, at some point we are going to be unable to send messages back to Earth. Right? Yeah. Um, so that's actually true. And that's kind of a fun thing. So at some point, um, if you go deep enough into this very hot gas, at some point you're surrounded by such a high density that um, the gas around you basically shields you. And so even if you try to send the message, it will actually not go away. And a similar thing happens on Earth, actually. So if you try to emit radio waves, right? So imagine that this would be a radio program and we would be trying to transmit this in the Earth. So in general, what would happen is you generate the signal and the signal would, you know, it goes like, you know, kind of everywhere, right? It propagates everywhere. And part of it actually goes towards the outer atmosphere. Now, in the outer atmosphere, there's the so-called ionosphere, which is a part of the atmosphere where there's actually a plasma. So it's, once again, like it's some kind of very hot gas. So similar to what the sound would have. It's not the same temperature, but it's physically, it's kind of the similar thing. So what would happen is this signal will actually go and then it actually bounces back onto the Earth. Uh, So it actually is difficult to communicate with certain satellites if you actually go to go there with radio waves because it's impossible because the waves just will will bounce back. And physically, the way of seeing this is as follows. So take take a take a gas and think of it as having like, you know, separated into charged particles to so have ions and electrons, right? If now you put a wave through it, then these particles and electrons will start, you know, kind of oscillating, right? As they see this wave coming in. Um, if the wave is very, very, has a very large frequency, then if it's so, so large, then the particles don't care because they are too fat to actually move at the same speed, right? So if I have this thing that is going like this, the particles just don't have, they're just too fat. They're just not going to respond and the wave can go through no problem. But if the wave starts going to lower and lower frequency, at some point, the plasma starts responding and it responds in such a way that it actually cancels the wave. So it actually shields it out. And the wave basically just gets and rebounds. So this is what happens on the Earth. If you emit radio, it bounces off the atmosphere and comes down. In the case of, of Icarus 2, when it's approaching the sun, at some point, it's dense enough a gas or, you know, a plasma, what we call it, right? That the signal is just going to be impossible to be sent in that direction because, you know, it's in this shielding kind of bath, right? Um, so that's actually true. Um, that's actually that's true. That's really interesting. And this is something that I... Yeah. I didn't any... Yeah. I just... I, I was trying to think about it and I, I, I didn't get very far, to be honest. Uh, the only thing I could think about was like, would there be a position where as they're approaching that the position of their orbit around the sun brings them so that they're on the opposite side. So it's what right. I think is called conjunction. So the ship would be on one side of the sun and the earth is on the other side of the sun. So they wouldn't be able to send... The signals around but uh what you're saying makes a lot more sense that yeah that i mean that that could probably all that that's probably also the case but i would think that once you get so for example in the parker solar probe um that's definitely the case so when it's on one of the sides uh you cannot see the signal and then the, you only get the data when it's on the other side uh 
So that could also be a thing. I don't know how close they were to the sand, but at some point, this effect will also come into play. So if you're, if it's yeah. too dense, you're not going to be able to send the message back. Um, so it's probably a combination of the two. Yeah, I would think what you're saying makes a lot of sense because they're obviously going to have to get close enough to be able to drop that bomb in. Right, right. Right. Well, it's kind of crazy because they they also want to come back, which from the beginning of the film, you know, is not going to happen. Yeah. That's, right. <laughs> I mean, this is not where this story is going. <laughs> like, it's a suicide. It's a suicide like mission, right? Yeah. Like you're gonna get very close to the sun. Like there's no way you're gonna come back. Like, oh, we ran out of of plants. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I think this is the least of your yeah. problems. Um. Okay, so have have we reached have we reached the finale of the science of the movie? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of things that you could you could think about. I mean, I guess that's that's part of the interesting thing about the film, right? As we were saying, it kind of motivates or sparks a number of things. Actually, let me ask you a question. Yeah. <laughs> you that are the you are the physicist in Icarus two. Would you actually go to Mercury to pick up Icarus one or not? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I've recently the answer. This is a this is a ten point question. <laughs> having basically right, what happens is having the option seeds doubt into your original plan. Do you know what I mean? Like you're on the way there. You have a plan. You have your payload. You just you know what you need to do. Continue on. Get to where you need to go. Drop it in. Save humanity. And then somebody says, yeah, but what if that bomb fails? Maybe we could do a second one. And then you suddenly have that like little seed of doubt that makes you go, oh, God, what if it does? We won't have another opportunity to do this. So I don't know, like logic right now tells me you continue on and complete your mission as designed originally. But in that moment with that seed of doubt, I think I would also be Oh, let's get the second one just in case. What yeah, because I think also, I don't know, but in the moment, I think in the decision, there is the possibility of people being in Icarus, in Icarus 1, right? And I think that's yeah. in a lot of those cases, I, I think it, it kind of mixes, <laughs> right? It kind of mixes with it, right? Like, so it's not just a yeah. choice of like probabilities. Like, even if the, even though they want to make it look at least when they're discussing um, that it's just a a, a, a a matter of just physics in a sense, right? Like whether it's a better or not, like in absolute terms. It kind of, I get the sense from what they're discussing or so that there's the chance of people being there, right? So they don't really want to go by because there could be people there. And if you were in that situation, you would like someone to pick you up. Yeah. Right? Um Yeah. So yeah, it plays on the human emotion aspect of it. The But you're on a mission. This is the thing. It's it's not about you and it's not about the other people because it's that whole age-old thing. Would you sacrifice a handful of people for the sake of the entirety of humanity? And the answer should always be yes. <laughs> yes, leave them behind. I mean, Go drop the bomb. Save sure. everyone. I mean on paper, on paper, it's easy, right? On paper, it's easy, but like, if you are in there, yeah. you probably start thinking, like, uh, you know, you try to convince yourself that it's actually the better choice is to actually go and pick it up, right? Um, 
Yeah. So like, uh, you know, a lot of the times, you know, what is the what is the goal that you actually want to prove actually influences what your your answer will be. I mean, this is something that is very deep. I mean, ideally it wouldn't, but like in practice, it actually does to uh, to some extent, yeah. right? Um, and so when you know when Cillian Murphy is actually doing these computations, he probably actually is thinking not only on the physics part, but he's also thinking, oh, there's probably people there. Uh, so I'm going to play safe. At the same time, you don't want to fail, so you want to play safe, right? Um, yeah. Now, there's something that kind of is eerie to, me, eerie to me, which is he's saying, oh, the probability of our mission succeeding is basically zero, right? Right. He's he's kind of saying, right? He's kind of saying when he's doing like the, you know, elucubration, like he's thinking about all these possibilities and so on. He's saying the posi- the probability is zero, which, you know, is kind of a, <laughs> a bleak, you know, outlook to one's mission. As you were saying, like you, w- you want to believe that, you know, you are actually going to do something. But yeah. but then he says, okay, if we do, if we do two, then it's going to be better. Now, two times zero is zero. So I don't know. <laughs> and and, and uh... <laughs> this is a massive plot hole, though, right? Because I don't understand how they think that they're getting the second bomb there. They don't know what's happened to Icarus. They don't know if Icarus right. one can fly. Do they have the right. capacity to tether Icarus one to them and the fuel to carry it? And then to be able to yes. launch it, so it's it's completely bonkers anyway. So the answer well, should always I, be no because we don't have the capacity to do anything with the bomb if we even got it. So no, we don't go I'm, there. Yeah, they've already talked about they only have enough fuel for like to get there and back, and and you know they could just about do this like uh, detour, right? But it's like no, so yeah, no, no, ruthless. I don't care if there's people on it. Ruthless, straight to the sun. Bomb in, reignite, done. Abby, I'm I'm sure they have enough tape. Yeah, I'm sure they have enough tape to just like tape the thing around, you know, in the in the most purest of American ways, just like you know, tape tape the new thing around the. Uh, but like, okay, so think about this. Like, everything is very complicated. They've probably planned like the trajectory of the original Icarus in like hyper precise way, you know, taking all possibilities into account to just thread the needle and put it down like the place, right? And now the choice is, oh, we're going to make, as you were saying, like you're going to endanger your mission to some extent just to have two two choices or two shots. But at the same time, you're trying to, you know, you're reducing the probability of the first one succeeding as well, right? So it's like, yeah. it's not just being one or two, it's actually being one or being like, this possible one, which is probably a point one, and the original one, which now becomes a point something, right? So, like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I, I would stick to the plan. I, I think that's the, that's the best yeah. thing, right? Um, I would just <laughs> stick to the plan. Actually, I wouldn't. I, I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't send, I wouldn't send humans. Yeah. <laughs> right? You but can automate they have it, to right? Have him to ignite the bomb for some reason. <laughs> I know you're well, right. sure, you but I mean, yeah, but but what fun is that movie, Eduardo? Come on, <laughs> <laughs> just 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 be a, like a very boring movie where nothing happens. It's just like this payload just approaching the sun, exploding, yeah. and nothing changing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
like okay <laughs> sure you know great movie <laughs> <laughs> okay um okay so i've got i've got one last question for you is this a good movie what is it a good movie for scientists for scientists um to watch so for scientists to watch or to watch to to represent science to be engaged in science as a well, scientist well, person, did you feel yeah, yeah. like I yeah this was good or did you feel like guys come on man i don't know i mean so okay so here's the thing so i wa- i rewatched the film over the weekend because i knew i was going to be here so i was watching the film with my science hat on Okay, so that's that's a very yeah. kind of biased watching of the film, right? So I enjoyed it because when you are watching the film this way, you are basically questioning every single scene that appears <laughs> that appears in the film, right? You're you're always like kind of you know questioning. Okay, is this is it, you know it's a very different way of watching the film, right? Because you're like, okay, does this make sense or like what? Um, so that 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 was actually very enjoyable, honestly. Um, if you actually put your you know your science hat on and you try to like scrutinize the film which is probably not the the way the original way that the film is meant to be right because you know you're supposed to 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 watch it in a different way but that is actually pr- fairly enjoyable now if we forget about the you know science hat and just be a scientist not wearing the science hat but just you know wearing the film hat um as i said before it's kind of on the borderline for me because it's kind of very um you know you're on the edge of the seat kind of all the time right um but it still has as i said it has this air of science and it's not stereotypical science uh which often happens right um so you don't have the crazy russian scientist uh (laughs) you know is you know yeah, exactly. It's not like, you know, so it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's nice, you know, there's some praise to this, to the physicist, which is always, you know, well taken. Um, <laughs> uh, I so laugh, rare. I laugh quite really a lot. Gonna take it when we get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. like... <laughs> I laughed. I laughed a lot when when that happened in the film. I was like, "Yes, <laughs> that's why they chose this uh, this movie for the podcast." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it's got to be. Sometimes right. you need it. Sometimes it's like because the scientist is always like some sort of. If it's a physicist, they're always socially awkward in some way, and and extra right. nerdy or extra kind of just isolated in some way or they or they try to go with the you know super cool scientist who's like i'm not right. what you expect whereas at least in this <laughs> just normal just seem normal it's yeah like, cool yeah you're normal yeah. you're a person who does science great this yeah. works <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah but i i think it was i think it was great i mean also the the other thing i liked um and i think is actually one of the of the good or like the successes of the film in in a sense is um like the central the central piece to the film is the sun right is this you know yeah. part of nature or you know science in a sense that it's like the central or the driving term right like you can 
you kind of get the feeling of how um I don't know, like beautiful, gigantic, and underst- you know, misunderstood well not misunderstood, but not really fully understood thing the sun is. While it being very central to our life, right? Because, you know, all the movies, okay, we need to get to the sun. Um, So going back towards what we were saying at the beginning that, you know, part of what films should attempt is to draw people into, you know, being interested in these things or so on. I think they act, it actually does do that because the sun appears as something you would like to you know, something almost majestic in a sense, right? That you actually yeah. would like to to understand. Um, and I like that actually from the film. Um, yeah. That's, yeah, that's perfect and beautiful. And I actually think that's a perfect place to end it. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's been a really interesting conversation. I've also had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of uh, rumbling. It's so great. No, it's so great to just talk about this kind of stuff and I really appreciate your perspective as well on the movie and to and to hear to hear somebody else's thoughts. Uh it's really it's really interesting to to me and to us. And yeah, so that was Sunshine with our guest Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in a couple of weeks time for the next series of Science of the Movies. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, everyone.